You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon I would call upon all of us to pray not only for the physical well-being of our congregation, but for their spiritual well-being. Many in our congregation haven't been here for a long, long time. We need to be praying for their spiritual condition. And so I encourage all of us to not only pray for the physical man, but also for the spiritual. The second thing I would request is that if you don't have a Bible with you, that you will look in the pews and find one. I think the lesson will be more meaningful, more useful to you if you're able to see some things that I see in our text. The book of Isaiah has a very special, special section in it. We're going to limit ourselves to just one chapter in that section. It will go from Isaiah chapter 40 through Isaiah chapter 53. The scripture reading that was read a minute ago was a prophecy of the future when John the Baptist would come to prepare the way for the Lord. If you have your Bible now open to Isaiah, the 40th chapter, you'll notice two things that caused me to want to prepare this particular lesson. I want you to look at chapter 40 and verse 1. That will be what you will find throughout from chapter 40 through chapter 53. The language is this, comfort, O oh comfort my people, says God. You and I try to be the children of God in this 22nd century. Sometimes we fail, sometimes we need a little push, but that's what we're trying to be. If you go back to the beginning of Isaiah, and you'll also find this in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the children of Israel have forgotten God. They had more knowledge of Baal and a host of other idols than they did of God. And yet God, even with the anger that he will show in the earlier parts of these books, yet he has a love for the children of Israel. And so when we come to chapter 40, and verse 1 introduces some 13 chapters, culminating with the 53rd and a knowledge that it's about Jesus the Christ. And then look with me at chapter 9 of Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to limit ourselves just to this one chapter. You will notice at the very end of, chap of verse 9, this statement, here is your God. Here is your God. That's the title of our study this morning. Because Isaiah will then take the 40th chapter and many chapters after it to try and explain to the children of Israel who God is. I'm not sure that you and I miss that to our own detriment. We can think of so many things of a spiritual nature 
And yet the ultimate is God. I am interested in the fact that when the children of Israel had been so idolatrous, even to the extent, and this is hard to imagine, causing their children to pass through a fire to appease the God Baal that they had created. Unbelievable that God would then come to verse 1 and say, Comfort, O comfort my people, says God. And so the very next thing has already been read for us, the coming of John the Baptist in the future. Now we're going to just simply look at what Isaiah will record about God. God, for one thing, is so big that we will never, ever, totally and completely understand him. It's interesting in John chapter 1 that Jesus came to explain to us what God is like. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he explains him. And so we look at Jesus, and they're certainly sufficient in the four, chap- in four books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to understand something about Jesus. But he also helps us to understand about God. And now come with me as we go to about four different places in the 40th chapter and learn some things about our God. Look with me at verse 10 and 11. This is a beautiful picture of God. It's a picture that we will also note in the New Testament about Christ. Behold the Lord. The Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arms, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. That's a picture of God that is hard to imagine when you consider what the children of Israel had been doing. They desecrated the temple with idols. They desecrated the very land with their idols. They did things that are almost indescribable. And yet here is God picturing himself as a shepherd. If you turn to John, the 10th chapter and verse 11, you'll find that Jesus is the good shepherd. So many times you will find Jesus offering sympathy, offering comfort. And think of the widow Nain. And as he walking, walks down the road, here's a widow about to bury her son. You can almost imagine the grief that is there. And Jesus reaches out as a good shepherd and brings life back to that son and to that mother. So many times, Jesus shows us about God. But here, at the very beginning of this 40th chapter, here is your God. He is like the good shepherd. And if you'll notice the words, he will tend the flock. He carries them. He gently leads them. That's you and me today. We are his people. He wants to comfort us 
And here is a description that surely is comforting. Sometimes we feel so alone. And in the disastrous COVID that we are facing in our country, it's so easy to feel alone. And yet here is something to remember. God is there. And God is like the good shepherd. But then there is another picture of God that is so tied to the world in which we live. Have you ever thought about what it takes in a natural way to keep our earth going? The speed of its circle, its location. We've been privileged to look at other places in the universe. There's no place like our earth. And so listen to the language of verse 12 through 14 as it describes the master craftsman. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by measure and weighed the mountain in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales and if you are a carpenter, you know that one of the important things is to measure things, see if they will fit. How will they work? Jesus did, or God did that with our world. How much earth does it need? How much water does it need? How much are the heavens to cover? And so on. And then come to verse 13. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or his, be his counselor or informed him? With whom did he consult? Who gave him understanding? Who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? And if you connect that to the earlier part, who helped God to understand how big the earth ought to be? Who helped God to understand how fast its circle should be. Who helped God to understand how far away from the sun he should put this? If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, and you have God saying, let there be light, and let there be darkness. Let the sun rule the day, and the moon rule the night. And then as you go on through creation, you look around today, and it's exactly the same. Never mind evolution. What we see in our world today matches Genesis chapter 1. If you look to the book of Job, in the last few chapters, God is going to ask Job a number of questions. And Job has to say, I don't know. I have no answer. Every one of God's questions comes from creation. Animals, why do they act as they do? Why do they give birth as they can? And on and on, and Job must say, it's too wonderful for me. The language is too wonderful for me. Turn them with me just one more time out of the book of Isaiah. 
Come to Romans chapter 1. Listen to this language. Verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now watch. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, watch now, being understood through what has been made, so they're without excuse. One more time, I will look at myself, so far as the master carpenter. If you listen closely, you'll see in the last of what I read from Proverbs chapter nine, or chapter eight, you will see the word craftsman, master craftsman. The Lord possessed me. And the language is this. It's as if wisdom is a person and wisdom is building our world. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old, from everlasting I was established. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth, when there was no depth, I was brought forth. When there was no spring, abounding with water, wisdom came forth. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While he was not yet made, not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm skies above and springs of deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary so that the water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundation of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth. And now we come back to Isaiah 40, and what do the children of Israel need to know to turn from the idolatrous ways? They need to know that God created all that was around them. Many of you like to go up into the hills to hunt or just to enjoy nature. We live in a beautiful part of our world, and yet everywhere you go, everywhere we've been, there has been special beauty in our world. We put men on the moon. Nobody wants to live there. We're going to explore other places in the universe. We won't be able to find anybody living there. But you look at those places, and you look at our earth, and it's not just the earth. God created it so that we would look at the master craftsman. We look at ourselves, and it's amazing how our bodies are put together, and God created each of us. It's amazing the mind, the heart that we can have. And Isaiah wants us to see God, the master craftsman. But then there is a rather serious side to God, but there's also a humorous side. And there's a little line 
in the next passage that we want to read from verse 18 through 20. And watch now for this last little statement. Verse 18 says this, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that will not rot. He seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman. Now watch. To prepare an idol that will not totter. In other words, fall over. I'm reminded of Gideon in the book of Judges. Gideon lived in a period of time when Baal was, had a hold on the hearts of the children of Israel. For one reason or another, Gideon decided that there were enough was enough. And so he and ten men went out one night, and of all things, they pushed Baal over. He tottered and fell. Next morning, the men of the city come out, and here's Baal, flat on his face. They immediately say, Gideon did it. And they surround him. And Gideon's father comes out. And this is what he says. If Baal is a god, let him take care of himself. And I think that's rather unique. Here in Isaiah, I need to have you make me a god that won't totter. I totter when I walk anymore. You don't want a God like that who's going to fall over on his face someday. And so God has a sense of humor. But God and Baal have no comparison. The God that we serve, the God that we come together to worship, has no likeness. We don't know what he looks like. Men have seen Jesus. Isaiah tells us in the 53rd chapter that he has no comeliness. There was nothing special about his visible sight to attract. And yet millions of people have been touched by him. The son of this God. And then we have another description here. In verse 21 through about verse 26, the longest reading, God is pictured above all things. We today in America have come to have a God of idols called technology. It will serve us. It will do our bidding. It will bless us. In many people's minds, it is their God. Now listen to the language that describes the God that we know. Beginning in verse 21 and reading down through verse 26. And there's one little thing here that you need to note. We saw it earlier in Proverbs reading. The circle of the earth. Do you realize that not many hundreds of years ago, People thought the earth was flat and you could sail off the end of it. 
in the Bible written so many thousands of years before, knew that God sat on the circle of the earth. Let's please look, listen to the reading. Follow from verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits in the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain, spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He is he who reduces rulers to nothing, makes judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, and he merely blows on them and they wither, and the storms carry them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me, that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high, and see who has created these stars, and who has leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name, because of the greatness of his might, and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Years ago, way before I started preaching full time, I would drive down to Salton City. Salton Sea is down the very bottom of the state of California. It's desert, but there is the Salton Sea. And if I stayed over to preach on Sunday night when we come out, there were very few lights of the city, and you would look up, and it would be unbelievable, the stars that you would see. Another occasion when we were traveling by our, with our trailer in the state of Nevada, we were in a campground, and we walked away from the campground from all of the lights, and we looked up in the sky, and again, it was unbelievable. It's hard to do in the city. Perhaps some of you can do it out where you live. It's a long ways away from the lights of the city. But it's an amazing thing to hear Isaiah record that God knows all of those stars. He puts all of them out there. Why do we want to study this? Because we need, in this time, more than anything at all, to know who our God is. He's the one who wants to comfort us. He is the good shepherd. He is a master craftsman. He is so different from the idols that men make that go their tottering ways. And then we come to this last reading. He is the God who is above all. It's an amazing thing to imagine in your mind. God sitting there above the circle of the earth, seeing us gathered for worship, seeing brethren across this world gathered for worship. He sees us. He knows our needs. When we pray, he hears. That is the God 
that we need to know in this period of time. There is one more reading, and it coincides with the very first verse of chapter 40. It comes in verse 28 to the end of the chapter. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. It's a beautiful ending to a beautiful chapter. There's so much more. I would close this morning with an encouragement for you to read on past chapter 40 with a pencil or a pen and a ruler. And every time you come across until chapter 53, some description of God, some comment about who God is, underline it. Make it stand out, just as we see in chapter 40. Those 13 chapters are so different than the rest of the book of Isaiah, or even Jeremiah, or Ezekiel. And again, I go to that very first verse. Comfort, oh comfort, my people, Israel. We are his people. And he wants to comfort us in our minds, in our hearts, in our very souls. We're going to sing an invitation song in just a moment. There are many ways to respond to it. Perhaps if there's some way that we can help you, I'll call Walt to come up here and stand as the invitation song is, and you can talk with him. But you may sit in your place and say to yourself, I need to understand more about the God that I serve. I want his strength. I want his power within me. And according to what we have just read, he is more than willing to give us what we need.